The Fan. Ezekiel 25, 17. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness. For he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. Okay, calm down. A six-gong Saturday for your Minnesota Twins. The the dong-gong might be in need of some sort of repair or update or refurbishing of some sort. Your Minnesota Twins continue to absolutely make a mockery out of Major League Baseball pitching. Sunday Sermons, two-hour edition on an absolutely... Summary, baseball-like, summer game-like, Sunday morning here in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul. Current temperature, I'm guessing, about 44 degrees? 45, we've reached. We're up to 45 And we'll see a high today. of 46. It's even better. <laughs> Outstanding. Dan Barrero and Ryan Donaldson with you until 11 o'clock today. And uh, it'll be Lavelle E. Neal third filling in for Guardsy on the Cake Show. This afternoon, or I should say, well, morning and afternoon. He'll be going 11 until 1 just for fun. We're delighted you chose to join us today. Bradshaw and Brian Inbox is open. Booth at CafeN.com if you would like to um, be a part of the proceedings today. We may eventually take phone calls as well. Um, if you're not familiar with the Dong Gong, it is, um, well, once upon a time, boy, it seems like decades ago. That all we had to do with the Minnesota Twins was make a mockery out of them, mock, you know, sort of uh, amuse ourselves in finding ways to, shall we say, document their ineptitude. And one of the ways we did it historically on the Bumper to Bumper show was the uh, K Gong. And the K Gong would commemorate the number of Twins hitters who struck out in a given game. 
which was a lot for a period of time and was part of a number of dysfunctional issues regarding the uh, team. We thought we'd update it this year. And uh, this year we updated it because all we do is hit home runs in a way that, again, most Twins fans who are familiar with the team in the 30-plus years I've been in this town could not possibly understand. Now, we had some moments. Obviously, Ken Herbeck, the 87 team had some power. The 91 team, excuse me, had some power. But we've never had anything like this, especially when you factored in um, the mantra of the previous two administrations was, don't try to hit the ball so hard. Just meet it. Hit to all fields. Uh, don't be so concerned about trying to kill the ball. And some of that had to do with the fact that we just didn't have people who were capable of killing the ball. Now we clearly have a lot of people who are capable of uh, of, of killing it. And we're um, we're hitting home runs. We're, we're, we're scoring at a pace that is, well, it's unheard of in Twins history. I mean, basically, our slugging percentage right now is 75 to 125 points better than any slugging percentage in the history of the Minnesota Twins. Now, again, I know the calendar says we haven't gotten to June 1 yet, but it's absurd what's going on. And, of course, yesterday, most of you know, that we edged the Seattle Mariners 18 to 4. Well, pretty good. It was our um, fifth consecutive victory. We did indeed hit uh, the reason you heard the gong six times is we hit six home runs. A uh, crone twice, scope twice. Miguel Sano goes deep for his first home run since last August and Byron Buxton hits a grand slam his first since 2000 and 16. We've now scored 258 runs in 45 games. That is number one in all of the major leagues. That even includes the uh, ridiculous Houston Astros who have won. Is it 10 in a row, 11 in a row? I don't remember how many they've run one in a row. They've been ridiculous as uh, as well. So uh, we may need a bigger dong gong. It's possible before this season is indeed done. The Twins will be one of the subjects we will explore in a little bit more depth throughout the program today. Let's give you a couple of other, uh, let's give you a primer of what you might have missed over the course of the uh, of the weekend. Do we dare go softball next? Why not? Your Golden Gopher softball team rallies to defeat Georgia 2-1. to one. A um, Hope Brandner home run gets it done. A dramatic home run, um, I believe, into left center field. 2-1 to one victory over Georgia in an NCAA softball regional game. By the way, it's her 19th home run of the season. Completed a very dramatic comeback, as I said. As I understand it, and, and uh, Ryan, you may have uh, more recent information on this. I don't know. Um, we're going to play again later today. Well, we're scheduled to play again, I think at three today. Um, but I have no idea how, you know, what, how the weather is going to get in that way. Um, but as I understand it, Georgia played, was playing Drake yesterday. They had lightning issues. Game was suspended late last night, about 1030. Georgia leading 4-2, game to be resumed today. I, at a time 
to be determined. I assume it's been determined by now, but again, I don't know how the weather's getting in the way of that. Then whoever wins that game, could be Georgia again, would play the Gophers at 3. If the Gophers win that game, they go to the Super... Well, no, they don't go. They stay here for the Super Regional. Uh, If they were to lose that 3 o'clock game, if it actually is played at 3, then the two teams would meet again at 5.30. You're wondering if all this is going to have to be put back till Monday. Where I think the weather's supposed to be better, like considerably better tomorrow, is it not? I think it can't get any worse, so just by definition. You doubted... Uh, Minnesota United, you doubted their offense. I did. I'm they guilty got, of that. They got it done one nil over the Columbus Blue Jackets for uh, a bit. We're on. You know. Do you realize we're undefeated in our new building? By the way, that's exactly right. We are two zero and three with our victory yesterday. I think it took seventy minutes to get the only goal of the game, but we got it. Um, somebody named, a horse named War of Will won the Preakness. I didn't watch it, but my understanding is there was a riderless horse that not only completed the race, but then went around like one or two more times before they were able to corral the race. Yeah, the the horse, I guess the the jockey uh, fell off like uh, almost at the start of Boat Express, or is it Bot Express? Bot Express, I would guess ejected Hall of Fame jockey John Velazquez. He kept going around the Pimlico track, track, did an extra lap as well. That's a little scary, actually. That is kind of scary. Could be scary, potentially. But War of Will, something called War of Will, gets it done. Um, Hockey, you doubted the St. Louis Blues. They beat the Sharks. This was actually, I think, Friday night. Uh, But I'm giving you the whole kind of weekend wrap-up. 2-1, and that series is now 2-2 in the Western Conference Finals, I believe game number five is scheduled for San Jose today. Three o'clock. Three o'clock? Two o'clock. Right three o'clock here. Eastern time. Right here on the fan, I'm assuming. That's exactly right. We've got Gleeman to the Geek at one o'clock today, so we can tune oh, into NHL hockey at, at two. Even better, for sure. The uh, Golden State Warriors move up uh, to a commanding three-zip lead in the... Uh, by the way, the Boston Bruins, of course, are awaiting... The winner of that series for the Stanley Cup, they they swept their series, so they're just they're just resting. They're just rolling Charlie right Coyle now. Charlie Coyle and company just resting, preparing yeah. for the for the finals. Uh, NBA, Draymond Green absurd as the Warriors take the series to Portland and uh, dominate the Blazers, one ten to ninety nine. I believe they were down. Were they not down? They were down thirteen at the half. And still won by 11. That's a pretty dramatic second-half turnaround of some 24 points. Draymond Green was literally absurd. 20 points, 13 boards, 12 assists. And I heard somebody say this on the way in here, and it's absolutely true. Um, you can't argue with that Kevin Durant was a success with the Warriors, but I also won't argue with the premise that the Warriors are a lot more interesting without him. Uh, they've won a title, obviously, before he got there. They're proving once again why they can win maybe several more titles without him uh, because everybody expects he's going to leave after this season, and maybe he'll be even more encouraged to leave if the Warriors finish this thing off. But they're a lot more interesting because Green, I, I should say Durant had become, this certainly in this run, the dominant player on this team, and to that extent... Other players were deferring. They're probably doing the right team thing, 
but um, they were deferring. Steph Curry doesn't have to defer anymore. Um, his splash brother doesn't need to defer anymore. And and as Green said, um, when Kevin's not on the floor, I have to be more aggressive. So whether that's attacking the basket, putting more pressure on the defense, I understand that. Uh, he's had a triple-double in each of the rounds during the playoffs, by the way. Meanwhile, the uh, considerably talented backcourt of the Portland Trailblazers continues to shoot poorly. I think that McCollum and Lillard are shooting a combined 35% in this series, and they've committed 22 turnovers. So game, set, match, this series is all but over. The only bad news for the Warriors that might impact what we're all expecting to be a finals matching them against the Bucks is that uh, your guy, very valuable, well, sometimes super sub, sometimes starter, Andre Iguodala, left the game in the third quarter, sore lower leg, MRI, is scheduled on Sunday. He's an important player, especially with Durant out, especially on the defensive end. Um, what happened in golf? Nothing's nothing's changed. It's Kepka all the way. Yeah, he had, he, a, he had a, a relatively ordinary par Saturday, right? Exactly right. But he starts today still seven strokes up, which is the record, right? Uh, no one has had a seven-stroke lead in this tournament going into the last day, I believe. Not that I can recall, that's for sure. Yeah, he's been absolutely dominant, and he didn't even have to have a great round yesterday to continue his dominance. That's how good he's been. Yeah, well, in any case, um, that's kind of a, a a primer and overview of some of the stories that you might not have paid attention to. I mean, i got to believe with the weather being this favorable, you got out a lot, and so you might not have been paying attention to the TV. There have been so many um, temptations to get out and enjoy the and enjoy the conditions yesterday and again largely today i'm sure that will be the case as well brad sean brian inbox booth at kfan.com as i said we'll take phone calls today at 800-320-5326 or 651-989-5326 either of those numbers will work big day also very underrated day on the minnesota sports calendar of calamity which we will, uh, I think, be forced to get to at some point. I've got some more Vikings conversation to get to today. The ongoing debate and discussion, because we got nothing else really to talk about right now, is how in, how essential is Kyle Rudolph to the Vikings becoming whatever we would like to think this offense might become in Kirk Cousins' second year and our new... Uh, What's his title? Um, offense, not offensive coordinator, because technically we have one of those. Senior vice president in charge of the offense. What's his Gary name? Gary Kubiak. Gary Kubiak. Whatever his title is, he's here to basically run the offense as well. So I want to get back to that subject. I want to also mention my brush with uh, uh, Golden Gopher football coach P.J. Fleck yesterday at a mall. And any leftovers that Ryan Donaldson, um, promotions director for the fan, might have from the uh, Friday night Rube party, which uh, by all accounts I think was pretty much a smashing success. I want to be sure nobody got hurt. I want to be sure that everybody got home safely, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, a power pack broadcast and a lot to get to, and our plan is to get to all of it. Friends, neighbors, brothers, and sisters, this is Sunday Sermons with Dan Barrero on the fan. Can I get an To the fan. Oh. 
God, there's no hope for Major League Baseball. We have there are about five thousand stats that would uh, confirm just how explosive the Twins' offense has been. But now we even have um, that they're ranked first or second, I think, first in ex- average exit velocity. God, I, I just I don't need it. I don't need that stat. I don't. Doesn't there are there are so many better ones that explain how explosive this offense has been. There's one. What's XBH? XBH. I hmm. think it was XBH. I should have written it down. It was X something. What stat starts with an X now that's X. supposed to also be with it and wow and help us better understand? Extra uh, the, base hits. Oh, extra base hits. I guess that would make sense. The yeah. X threw me off. Uh, it well, could yeah, be E. I, I, I'm just assuming it's got to be something more exotic <laughs> than extra base hits. By the way, for the record, your Minnesota Twins... Uh, their current slugging percentage, I believe, is five eleven. That is correct. Okay, that is twenty two points higher than the slugging percentage of the nineteen twenty seven Yankees. Well, pretty good. Now they did it for a whole season, but we are better than the twenty seven Yankees. Now our OPS, which of course is um, on base plus slugging. We are at uh, 8.48, which is outstanding, unprecedented for us. Yankees, uh, 1927 Yankees, 8.72. We got Again, a little work to do there. Well, even on runs, we're, we're feeling really good about we're averaging 5.73 runs a game. The 27 Yankees averaged... For a, how many games they played then? It was 154? Something like that. 6.29 runs. There's a reason that team is um, has held up as one of those teams that everybody gets compared to. Your 1927 Yankees, uh, pretty darn good. Did Cleveland win yesterday? Something tells me they did. I so be- what's our lead? Is it five and a half We're or at six five and a half? half right now. Five and a half game. Lead. Cleveland won four to one over the, Baltimore. The, the, the laugher nature of the victory... Um, the ridiculous offensive performance made it easier, I guess, to not obsess over the fact that La Machina didn't have it. La Machina, the, the Twins tried really hard to get La Machina through five innings, but they couldn't do it. Um, he was knocked out in the fifth. Four runs scored by Seattle, so he didn't get the victory. And so... La Machina has run into a little bit of uh, difficulty the last couple of starts, right? He has. And uh, he is saying that even with two strikes, they did very well uh, against him. So, um, I don't, you know, you know me. I'm the last person who want to bring everybody down. But um, I'm not sure we can, uh, like I said, we know this team's going to hit. I don't know if it's realistic to expect they're going to continue to hit at this pace, but I, I guess anything's possible at this juncture. Um, especially now that we've added Sano to the mix, and he's gotten in on the fun at least a little bit. But um, pitching will no doubt tell the tale, and we got to get Lamakina going. We'll talk to Jack Morris about Lamakina's problems again yesterday, um, probably on a Tuesday's broadcast. 800-320-5326, toll-free, 651-989-5326. Um, Everybody's trying to come up with nicknames. We did that uh, Friday with Lavel, who's going to, I think, spend a lot of his show today talking about nicknames for the Twins' offense. Um, 
I still like, I, you know me, I'm literary guy, so I, I still prefer, it's not as uh, catchy in terms of there's no alliteration to it, um, you're not playing off lumber specifically, more generally, uh, based on the start of the season, I like calling and have called your Minnesota Twins a movable feast, which is a an Ernest Hemingway line stolen by me and by many others over the years. I just like that. This this is a feast of a baseball team to watch. A feast for the eyes, is it not? It absolutely is. I mean, it, 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 pretty much every game we've had largely really good starting pitching. The bullpen has improved, statistically speaking, and uh, we're all still waiting for the big move that i got to believe we're going to be making at some point to shore that up, maybe even get another starter. I don't know. Twins are going to run out of reasons to not be all in this season pretty soon. In all seriousness, about giving themselves the best chance to say, whatever our timetable was, whatever our schedule was, you got a chance to make some noise, um, why wait? Why not take full advantage of, of, of that opportunity? But this has, um, and again, let's be honest, I mean, when you've grown up, Garzi and I talked about this on Enough Said Friday night, you know, Garzi has grown up with the other kind of baseball, basically as long as I've been in this town, and the other kind of offensive baseball had the occasional power surge with Gary, the you know, Gary Gaetti had a moment or two, obviously Puckett. Kent Herbeck did as well. We had, you know, the the, the Jim Tomey stretch, uh, more nosy when he was going good. But we have really been largely a little engine that could offense that prided itself on station to station baseball, moving, uh, you know, just moving hitters along, all that kind of good stuff, hitting to the opposite field, almost to the point of uh, nausea where that we would we would hear about that. I mean. Uh, Bert Blylevin's arousal level when, with a runner on second base, we get a ground out to first and get the runner to third, uh, which helps because you want the run, but it's not all that exciting. Um, they say that a triple is more exciting than a home run in terms of watching what happens in the base pass, and especially if it's Buxton doing it. There's some truth to that. But I can see where, if you're the average Twins fan, you're saying, I love this movable feast because I've never really had the kind of feared offense that this has been for the last two months where pitchers are cowering uh, in utter trepidation about how many times they might be embarrassed by the long ball. So I'm going with movable feast for now until we find out uh, others that are better. And as I said, I, I know uh, Lavel's going to get back into that subject today as uh, as well. Um, everybody's trying to uh, figure out it's already come to this, where, all right, who's the most valuable new twin that we've added to the uh, list? Um, everybody's trying to go down that particular road. I We'll get to that a little bit later, too. I, I There's so many options at this point. That's, the, what, that's what makes this story all the more remarkable. And that shows you that it's one of those years so far where everything, almost everything the twins have done in the offseason seems to be working. Right, almost every acquisition has contributed in one way or um, another. And I think Marwin hasn't been, hadn't hit as well as we'd hoped, but he was coming on. And in addition, he's been valuable because with Sano out to start the season, he's provided the kind of depth ex- that w- was exactly w- what the plan was to make him a 
key factor or a guy who could help this team win. Yeah, now, now the biggest problem that the Minnesota Twins have is trying to figure out where you fit in, Miguel Sano, when, C- when uh, Nelson Cruz excuse me, comes back from the I.L. Because you've got Marwin Gonzalez, you've got you got Nelson yes. Cruz, and you got Miguel Sano. They all, you know, kind of can mix in DH, third base, first base. So you got to figure out now. That's their biggest problem. How do you how do you get him back into the rotation? Well, as I said, I think it it, it works itself out because players. There's going to be other injuries. Yes. And in addition, the idea on Marwin was we just move him. Or, he could play a lot of spots. So even we can keep him in for 130, 140 games just. By him filling in for whoever the player was that's going to have the day off that day or in terms of matchups. So I, I, I don't think that's a big, I'm not sure that's a, uh, that's going to end up being as big an issue or as difficult as uh, we might have thought. Um, by the way, for the record, I'm getting an update on what I think is the new Minnesota softball schedule. If the weather permits, They'll continue, they'll resume the Drake-Georgia game at 2 o'clock today, Central Time. And then the Gophers are scheduled to play the winner at 4 in the regional championship. If the Gophers were to lose that game, then the final game of the weekend would be scheduled or is scheduled for 6.30 p.m. as well. Um, Apparently there are tickets available at the gate an hour before the Gopher game. That's according to the Minnesota softball a Twitter handle as well. So, there it is. That's the updated schedule. And again, I'm sure that I'm assuming that's going to be fluid on the basis of um, rain and um, the conditions. Um, and and you know, it's, it's supposed to be. It's it's very windy too, is it not? It's, it's extremely it's, it's really, windy. It's really uncomfortable. It's not. I wouldn't think this would be classified as an ideal softball conditions game. I don't think game. the ball flies as, as far either in the 44-degree weather. No. Uh, but I'm looking at the radar, the future radar, yes. and that's indicating that the rain will wrap up around 3 o'clock. So we'll see you know, if that actually holds true and if they're able to get oh, okay. in the ball games. All right. Fair so around 3, it should dry up a little bit. Um, as I mentioned, Lavel's going to follow us today. He's filling in for uh, Garzy, who's got like, I think he's he's attending four different Either graduations or weddings. What was it? I think in the, I think it was graduations. Actually. I think you're right. Yeah, graduations. I mean, he was all over the Midwest on graduations uh, today, following uh, I guess his friends. So it'll be Lavel in for Garzy today. He's going to have PA on, I think, to talk Preakness. Correct? He is. Yes. He's also. What else did he tell us? Um, we'll have Paul Peterson on oh, to talk right, about the PGA Tour. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then um, a player to be named, but a Twins player will yeah. join us at twelve thirty-five. All those things are uh, very good. Um, When we come back, I'll explain uh, precisely why. I mentioned it via Twitter, but precisely why I left a movie theater yesterday wearing sunglasses. And the prominent uh, coaching name who I had to uh, explain said circumstance to, who I just happened to run into as well yesterday afternoon or early evening as we continue. The Fan. Hey, Miss Riddle, I'm stuck in the middle again. Duluth has checked in where it is apparently snowing as we speak. You're kidding me. In Duluth as we speak. But uh, Dan in Duluth says we're still not letting the weather terrorists win. He doesn't explain how he's fighting through it. Does that mean he's going to still play golf today or stay out, you know, do something outdoors? It's the bold north. You can't rule it out. It's possible. 
Sunday sermons continuing on the fan. Um, Giovanzi, like a lot of kids, likes um, emotional dog films. There's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of books. It's become a cottage industry, both in terms of books and uh, motion pictures as well. There was a film that came out, I don't know how many years ago did A Dog's Purpose come out. I want to say several, but I, I lose tra- You know me, I've lost track of, uh, I feel like I've only been doing this show for like about six years. Dog's Purpose came out in, I'm looking it up as we speak, January of 2017. Uh, did very well at the box office. Uh, Dennis Quaid among the names in the very emotional story of, well, not just one dog, but a spirit that ran through several animals. The sequel... Just came out, I think, this weekend. We've had it circled on the calendar ever since Giovanzi saw the first coming attraction for A Dog's Journey. We went to see A Dog's Journey yesterday. And it was one of the first films in which I was blubbering so uncontrollably throughout, not just at the end, throughout that I was very tempted to put sunglasses on even before I left the theater, almost like I wanted to watch it through sunglasses. It, um, you could argue, is predictable. You could argue that it pushes every available button that you might expect, and to that extent, does that make it classic, brilliant? Probably not. But it is... um, (laughs) It's draining on several fronts, not just the dog front, but on the human front as well. And by the end of it, I was a hot mess. My wife was a hot mess. Our daughter, Giovanzi, liked it, but didn't blubber to the same... I mean, she's looking back and forth with the two of us on either side, I think almost concerned for us. And so I did put on a pair of sunglasses as we left the film, left the theater. So I didn't have to... Not By the way, a couple people took that as me being, are you one of those males who's afraid to cry? No. Afraid to show that he cries? No, but you don't really want to explain why you're crying in a mall. It would just seem kind of incongruous, I guess, unless other people figure, oh, he, might, he must have just come from a dog's journey. That explains it. Yeah, that, that's a possibility. So... I've got sunglasses on, and we're leaving. And who do we see kind of coming in our direction? He doesn't know me, and he doesn't spot me, but I spot him. It's Golden Gopher football coach, P.J. Fleck, his wife, Heather, and the family. I have never met P.J. face-to-face. We've had him on the show a couple times, but that was on the radio. He was not in studio. I obviously don't know him as well as J.G. knows him. So I said, well, you know, there he is. I might as well introduce myself to him, which I do. He was very affable, very friendly. Family was very friendly and very affable. And um, I, he didn't ask me, but I volunteered it. I said, 
we just went to see, you know, a dog's journey, and he said, I'm not going to see that one. No chance I'm going to see that one. I go, well, no. I mean, y- y- you might save yourself from the emotional wreckage if you don't. I said, and then I took my, my sunglasses off. I said, now you see where I'm wearing sunglasses. And he looks at my eyes. He says, oh, yeah. You've been crying. I said, yes. Through, like, usually in films like that, there's, like, maybe two moments where you go, okay, you're going to let loose. There were at least 10 spots in this film where I'm just tearing up. And I didn't even have any Kleenex. So I'm just like, you know, I'm it's just I'm wiping my nose with my sleeve. It's disgusting because I got nothing. I don't know what else to do. I mean, I'm just I'm it's coming from my eyes. It's coming from my nose. It's coming from my mouth. Everything. It's just it's just, you know. So um I if you're a dog person, I think you'll like the film, but I think you have to go in prepared. I thought this one was even more gut-wrenching than the previous one. Let's put it that way. You're a braver man than I cuz I you know, I, I Marley and me that that film came out I want to say around 2010 or so. And that's that's a fictional film and it's it's you know, it's yes, based correct. on the story of yes. Marley and the way that she influenced these this couple's life and I blubbered at that one. Yes. And you know, t- yes. that was about 10 years ago and since then I've purposefully stayed away from these dog films. I don't think you're alone in that I can't regard. go through it. I I I'm, I I love pooches as much yeah. as anybody. Uh, and I, I, you're a braver man than me because I don't think I could subject myself to that. I would get, I would get equally as emotional as you did. Well, it, um, again, I mean, if if you don't have a love of dogs or you don't haven't had a dog, you're probably not going to be moved the same way. That's, I think, that's a lot of it. That's what makes it relatable. I think for a lot of people, the great irony you mentioned, Marley and me. Many, whenever that film came out, it's been a bunch of years now. That very same theater. I also, on that occasion, on the way out, ran into a Minnesota celebrity. On that occasion, it was Lou Nanny. And on on that film, because I knew pretty much how it was going to end, you're at the place where. The family's going to have to take the dog to the place where we've got to do the humane thing. Okay, so I know that's coming. And I had warned, I'd gone with my wife and with uh, her brother and her, I think, girlfriend at the time, now wife, and I, I warned them, I said, I'll go to the movie, but I said, I'm not. I will. I'm going to have to leave with 15 minutes to go. I'm. I can't. I'm not going to watch that. I'm just not going to watch that. I, I. I. I can't do it. So sure enough, I. You know, I could see what's coming. They. They get. They're putting the 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 pooch. Putting Marley in the car, back of the car, the station wagon, whatever they had. I said, I. I. I gotta. I gotta leave. So I went to the lobby part and I got my sunglasses on. <laughs> and Louie was just preparing to go to a different movie. He goes, what are you doing? What, why do you have your sunglasses on? I said, I, I had to leave Marley and me. I can't do it. I can't take it. So it's just so ironic. Two dog movies, several years apart, and both occasions, uh, on the way out, I run into Minnesota celebs. It was, it, it just, it just, it, you can't really make that sort of stuff up, but in Minnesota, because it's a small town, even though it's a large metropolitan area. Uh, so that's all true. And again, I'll be curious to see. I don't know what the critics say about this one. I don't really care. I don't know what uh, the you know the tom- Rotten Tomatoes score is. I don't know what how how fans are, are taking it. And there are you know <laughs> two or three places where it's way too obvious, 
where it's going, and there are two or three places where it's like, no, that that reversal is way too abrupt. You know, give it, give that scene another minute to breathe before that character goes from you know zero to one hundred and ten. But it is what it is, and for um, sort of pulling the emotional heartstrings, I don't think it, it can be for me. It can be topped. I, I I don't. I'm not sure that it that it could. Where you're just going, what? Am I going to make it to the end of this film? And in this case, I stayed. And by the way, it's not all tears of, you know, sorrow at all. It's a combination. It's a combo platter. It's tears of happiness at times, and then it's tears of followed by tears. But that by the end of it, I needed a bucket. In fact, that's what I, towards the end of the film, we finished the bucket of popcorn. I grabbed the bucket, and I just put that in front of my face so, you know, the tears coming from my eyes and my everything coming from my nose could just drain down into the popcorn bucket. That's smart. That's good use of the bucket. That may be uh, jarring imagery on a Sunday morning. <laughs> but nevertheless, that is um, is indeed true. Booth at KFAN.com is the Bradshaw and Brian inbox. Emailer Jason tried to watch Where the Red Fern Grows. You familiar with that film? I am not. I know nothing about it. Um, Dan writes, I made the mistake of watching Hachi with my dog. I cried so hard I scared him. Um, the dog movie Max was good. Story of a military dog. Have I seen that one? I'm not sure. It's possible that I indeed uh, have. In any case, uh, just be warned. You heard it. I I haven't given away any plot lines. You don't have to worry about any, you know, I haven't even, you had to use the spoiler alert. I'm not going to do that. I'm I'm, I'm just preparing you for what you... Maybe already knew if you'd seen the first one, but I think this one was mut is even more gut wrenching than uh, than the other one. I, I I don't I'm not even sure it's 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 close when you're when you're blubbering halfway through the movie, and then you're doing it again on in every like ten minute increments. You're you 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 know that it's uh, got a very very special place. We have a calendar of calamity uh, stuff to get to, and maybe even a potential controversy surrounding this date on the Minnesota sports calendar of calamity. So we'll need some clarification, maybe even some help from the audience uh, on that. I even have one of the bumper-to-bumper correspondents working on some aspects of this historical Minnesota sports moment. We'll get back to more Twins discussion, the ongoing debate over... Uh, the importance of making sure that Kyle Rudolph is a part of the 2019 Minnesota Vikings. And what else did I have? I had uh, one other subject I wanted to get to. We'll, we'll remember it because we have a full hour yet to go. Ban. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone.
something about the history of Minnesota sports, the vulnerable nature of it, the sense of dread that we associate with much of it, that today, May 19, a day that on several levels should be considered a good day in the history of Minnesota sports, also might be considered a dreadful day. Example, May 19th, 2004. So that's, let's do the math, that'd be 15 years ago today, correct? That's exactly right. Your Minnesota Timberwolves defeated the Sacramento Kings in a, by a final score, by the way, of 83-80 in Game 7 of the Western Conference semifinals. I was there, Target Center. Guardsy was there at Target Center. Many of you in the audience might have been there. The atmosphere in that building on that occasion, as good a basketball atmosphere as one can imagine. Kevin Garnett, you'll recall, ends up pounding his chest from, gets on top of the scores table after it's over. It may have been Garnett's best game ever with so much on the line. 32 points, 21 rebounds, five blocked shots on his 28th birthday, no less. And it catapulted the Wolves to the Western Conference Finals. And yet, depending on who you talk to, it may well be a day worthy of the Minnesota sports calendar of calamity as well. The reason for that? Well, let's uh, read from what, once upon a time, the late, great Flip Saunders had to say. In fact, the subject, uh, the background on this was that um, a future Timberwolves guard by the name of Kevin Martin hit a big three-point shot against the Bulls. This was in 2014. Martin ended up being fined $15,000 for his attempt to pay homage to the Famous or infamous, depending on your point of view, Sam Cassell Big Balls Dance. The cojones. For which he became well-known. 15000 was what Kevin Martin had to pay, or somebody did on his behalf. And somebody asked Wolves head coach Flip Saunders about that homage. And Saunders said, not going to lie to you, I'm not really all that thrilled about it. Here's the quote from Flip. We lost a championship by that. When Cassell did that, he had an avulsion fracture in his hip. So from that perspective, I've always been against that type of thing. The allegation is that Cassell did his uh, big ball celebration during that game seven. And as a result of either that or the injury related to it, he barely played. I mean, he, he against the Lakers, he missed two games entirely, barely played in a couple of other games, averaged 9.3 points and 2.5 assists in that series. You could argue if Sam Cassell is as healthy or as productive as he'd been previously, including, by the way, a 40-point game early in the series against the Kings, that the Wolves might have advanced to the NBA Finals, 
and maybe even won the NBA Finals. So only in Minnesota can a day we should celebrate also be a day in which we commiserate over what might have been. Now, the controversy that is um, developed is whether the big balls dance itself took place during Game 7 or during Game 2 when Cassell, I think Cassell scored like eight points down the stretch. He saved us in Game 2 at home. Let me see if I can find the, uh, the yeah, here we go. Uh, with four minutes remaining in Game 2, the Wolves faced a 10-point deficit. This is at home because we had home ice in that series. And the prospect of leaving their home court down 0-2 in the Western Conference semifinals. Then Sam Cassell made his usual clutch shots, and the Kings self-destructed. Uh, Cassell scored eight points in the final three minutes. So, and they beat the Kings 94-89. to Well, maybe I have the wrong game. Where, what game did Cassell score 40 in? I'll double-check that. Um, in any case, some people think it actually... Because he's hitting big shots towards the end of the game, it's perfectly conducive to a big balls dance moment as opposed to uh, the end of Game 7 where everybody was celebrating, but Cassell tended to do that after he'd hit a big shot. And sure. He didn't hit any big shots at the end, I don't believe, of Game 7. So maybe it's a distinction without a difference. The difference being, though, that Game 7, the date is today, and that's why we're trying to figure out whether it should be a combo Great day in Minnesota sports history, uh, along with the calendar of calamity worthy day. Um, we'll never know, I guess. At some point during that series, maybe in Game 7, maybe earlier, maybe a combination of both. Who's to say? Um, <laughs> that celebration, one could argue, got in the way of the Timberwolves having their only real chance in the history of the franchise to actually win a National Basketball Association title, obviously, because we don't get any credit for the Lakers ones. They belong to the Minneapolis-Los Angeles Lakers as well. But I remember the dance well. I think most of us do. I remember a number of people trying to emulate it, and uh, as time went on, they may have done that too much, and then the league finally stepped in and said, we got to back away from it. I don't think Flip was offended by... I don't think his sensibilities were offended. I think he just was cranky because he, he remembers... Uh, what that led to. Now, whether he's exaggerating, because Cassell was hurt, had back issues throughout that series, even the Kings series, as I recall. And so, uh, is that being an exagger? Is that an exaggeration about how much that celebration actually contributed to, you know, his inability to go with any, you know, any ability in the in the Lakers series? I don't know. But it uh, it's worthy of our discussion today, given it's 15 years ago today, that KG had what, as I said, might well have been his finest performance in the clutch. He was absurd that night. That series was fun to watch. Sure. I remember it very, very well. And, I, and that's the beauty of the calendar of calamity. It can be a double-edged sword. You get the good, you get the bad. And and that's the beauty of it. You learn about that history. It's 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 interesting. I've never heard that angle about the uh, the big balls dance. Yeah, that was uh, 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 Dan Winnesota brought that to our attention because he's kind of the guy behind the whole calendar of calamity. And he he mentions um, we've also uh, uh, have have sort of developed the for want of a better expression the Minnesota sports dysfunction artifact Hall of Fame. 
Uh, we're looking for a catchier title for it. But we've had some fun with that over recent weeks. And, of course, in that, on that, regarding this particular story, the artifact that we would like would be, what, the x-ray? No, or would have to be an MRI. I think MRI, have probably. to be the MRI of, of exactly what the Big Balls dance did to his <laughs> hip or his yeah. back or his combination of both. You know, this, the sign, oh, yeah, here's, here's where he, it, it, it's an, un, and if you, I'll be honest with you. If you watch, there's plenty of video available of the Cassell dance, plenty. And if you watch it, I got to admit, the way he's moving doesn't seem like it's natural for the body. That there's a chance you might that you might hurt something or strain something or you know knock something awry. Uh, it's not a natural way to move. I don't think even though Sam tried to make it a natural way to move, and everybody understood exactly what he was uh, he was doing. By the way, Corzo has checked in, and he's confirming my one suspicion, my one concern. He said it was game two where Cassell was the hero late, stole the game. He says, I watched it from San Antonio. I was at game seven. Also, Athletic did a recent story in the Big Ball's history and doubted Sam got hurt from doing it. So it may well be that this is flipped, still cranky, or at that point, still cranky for not having Cassell's availability and wanting to believe it. It may not have helped. Who who knows? I don't know if we have any doctors who could maybe explain. Let me see again what the injury was officially. Avulsion fracture in his hip. Do we know anything about what an avulsion fracture? It sounds painful. It does. It doesn't sound helpful. I have a hunch, though, it might be more likely, because the game fit. Cassell was going to do that when he hit a big shot, not just when the Wolves won. And Game 2 was that game in that series. Now, you could still say it ultimately led to not being able to celebrate Game 7 the way we might otherwise have because it, it, it uh, whether the dance in the Game 2 was a part of it or Game 7 was a part of it, if it was a part of it at all, it got in the way of the Wolves having the best chance to proceed and get to uh, an NBA Finals. When an avulsion fracture occurs, the tendon or ligament pulls off the piece of bone that it's attached yeah. to. Ouch. Right. Yeah, that doesn't feel good. Well, in all honesty, um, I love it because it it is perfect. As I said, it's, it's perfectly representative of um, the nature of Minnesota sports, that even a grand moment, we have to uh, debate how it, in one way or another, can't be celebrated as much as we'd like to celebrate it because of this other issue, this other asterisk. It's perfect for um, Minnesota sports uh, and, the, and the way we have sort of um, come to expect things to occur, that even most of our celebrations have to be, um, how do I put it, offered up with an asterisk, with a qualification. It can't just be unfettered joy over what took place on that uh, particular occasion. By the way, we've got a Duluth call. Sean, you've seen golfers on the course today, is that correct? Yes, there is. Lester uh, Park Golf Course is uh, taking my dog down to the park. Yeah. And uh, there's 15 cars in there. There's actually uh, golfers on the course with jackets and gloves. Did you drive your uh, – Did you? how did you get there? Did you, did, you, did you go on your fat bike or did you go in a car? No, I'd win the car. Oh, okay. Just want to be sure. I thought maybe you were going all in on the, you know, on the health part of it. Right. 
but then there's there's cars coming down from over the hill that have snow on top of their cars. Really? Down here by the lake. My goodness. It's just rain and sleet, and then over the hill, it's uh, snow. How much measurable snow are you supposed to get in Duluth today, do, you, do we know? Let's say one to two inches over the hill, and then uh, wow. sleet and rain down here by the lake. What's uh, What would you say the current temp is? 28, 29? 44 degrees. Oh, 44! It's balmy. Okay, so it's yeah, about it's what perfect. it is here, but it's it's obviously uh, it's still cold enough there to uh, to get some sleet and snow in, huh? Right. Yeah. Well, it's forty four down at the lake, but yeah. thirty nine over the hill. That's why they're getting snow. Thirty nine over the hill. That's the key to it, right? Is that is so? Is Duluth yeah. one of those towns where you almost have to have two forecasts depending on where you live? Oh, for sure. You yeah. Gotta, you gotta carry. You got to carry a jacket and gloves yeah. with you. Yeah. Because the temperature changed so much. Uh, you know that there's been times down here by the lake. There's been times down by the lake where it could be 75 degrees yeah. over the hill and 39 down here because these winds off the lake. Hey, you you do know that state fairs right around the corner, right? Right. Yeah. I can't wait to see you guys when I get out. I can't wait to you. see you. It's gonna. It, it, the summer's almost over already. Think about it, man. It's unbelievable. It's almost um, almost it's June. It's 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 absurd. Well, in Duluth, how unusual is this for Duluth? Does this happen every year? Does this happen every five years this late? What would you say? This year, it's, it's probably the worst it's been in a long time. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, unfortunate. Yeah. Well, usually, we, you, have, you have some bad days. Sure, you have some bad days up here in, in the spring, but usually yeah. you, know, you get you know, not not this consistent. I appreciate you checking in. Thanks for uh, the phone call. That's Sean in Duluth, where apparently they are getting. Uh, snow and it's accumulating at least on cars and it's not but stopping any of the golf people are still on the golf course it's <laughs> amazing well corzo said he played yesterday i guess yesterday wasn't it rained early but then it's pretty much stopped during the day it never got very warm i don't think no we didn't get above 45 46 yesterday but um in any case uh by the way before we uh, run out of time we still have a good 50 minutes but the um root party friday night i bailed about 9 30 quarter to ten did you guys close the place pretty much and and uh what did i um miss i mean were there any uh you know uh surprise performances with hockey on stage anybody else get up there to sing i saw the tape that johnny krasinski sent out of lava yes up on stage singing (laughs) along with the band uh any other moments like that well in 2014 we had john bonus's breakout performance on stage with his dance moves did he reprise that last night he absolutely did Uh, on friday night yep bonus was back on stage whipping out the the sweet dance moves that he's been known for lavelle was next level yeah he was just enjoying it hockey put on a hell of a show i mean everybody really had a blast it, it seemed like and the place was packed the whole time it really couldn't have gone any better now it's good. It was a good crowd. Uh, we had fun while we were there. Um, we uh, we laughed. We cried. I ha- I got my tater tots, which <laughs> was really the key for me. Uh, there's any any question um, about that aspect of it? I don't spend anywhere near as much time downtown as I used to back in the day. Every time I head downtown for anything, I am so when I see construction. A lot of times, I haven't seen some of the, the development as much as folks who maybe take it for granted who live there or there every day, I am so astounded with the um, ex- the explosion of condos and apartments. That's, to me, the biggest change. Because when I lived downtown, I mean, there was obviously more than one place to live downtown, but there, were, there weren't really that many viable options. Now, everywhere you turn, 
They are building more apartments or con- I don't know how many of them are. Are they more condos or apartments? They're or- more apartments now. Okay, yeah. yeah, that's what at least what my sources tell me. It's and I have a friend who's a realtor, and yeah, it is amazing. You you see a new one finish, and then yeah. you look across yeah. the street, there's and there's another, another one. one. On. The foundation's being laid, and, and then it's up within a year. Which I I love as a guy who loves cities because I mean to me the um, a, a city's not a real city if everybody leaves at the end of the day. You know what I'm saying? That what really sure. makes it more a vibrant and more interesting is that it doesn't necessarily shut down. And a lot of people who work there also live there as well. And uh, it is, man, it is, I don't know what the numbers are, but they, I mean, they keep building, I guess, because the demand is now there, right? It's exactly right. They can't keep up with the demand, apparently. Apparently not. So. Everybody wants to live downtown now. Yeah, uh, it, it is amazing. The, the construction there, it's uh, it's constant. It's ongoing constantly, and there's a new, really cool, nice new building going up yeah, pretty every much. month. Uh, by the way, thanks for all the rubes who showed up on uh, Sunday, some, or I should say Friday night. Um, some of them I recognize because you see them at the State Fair. Uh, they call in. Um, uh, some I don't know uh, quite as well, but uh, we have, it's been said before, and we'll uh, certainly continue to believe that we have uh, about as loyal a, a rube base as any local radio station in the country, and I, I dare say more than most. Matter of fact, I'm going to stop with the self-deprecating. It's definitely more than any. I mean, there's no station that has the kind of uh, loyalty that we do from uh, from the Rube. So it's good to chat with them. We always appreciate their interest, their ongoing interest in uh, this station. Hope that that can continue for a very long time. We've got more Twins to get to. We've got some Vikings to get to. We've got emails to get to. And, um, like I said, 45 minutes to squeeze it all in before Lavel takes over, filling in for Guardsy at 11. Sunday Sermons with Barrero on The Fan. The Fan. He's got big balls. By the way, for the record, we spent some time early talking about your Minnesota Twins. The uh, the dong gong was, uh, I think it took up the first five minutes of the show because we hit so many home runs last night, I think six, all told. We toyed once again with the uh, Seattle Mariners. What was the final? Is it eighteen to five or eighteen, 18 to four? four? Eighteen to four. We just edged them. Um, gave up a pair of safeties. That was basically it. And um, there's already discussion about okay, who should be considered the most valuable twin? Who's been the most important player in the turnaround this season? And you can, you could, I, I could make arguments for about four or five different people. Obviously. Um, including some, you know, I mean, they're, they're all the obvious names that uh, one could indeed uh, start with, uh, probably starting with, with Nelson Cruz. But I would still uh, make it more about pitching. And uh, in particular, for me, it would probably be Martin Perez. Now, the problem is, again, can you... Can you count on him continuing to be as dominant as he's been to this point? I I don't know. And and it's why, as good as this movable feast of a baseball team has been, as pleasing to the eye as it has indeed been, I still want more pitching. I'm always going to err on the side of more pitching. And to me, that's what Falvin should be doing 
every day. And my guess is that's what they are doing. Finding ways to maximize. I know the bullpens, in terms of numbers, is doing better than it did a month ago. Um, But I still have difficulty completely trusting the rotation and the bullpen. If you're really going to start getting uh, ambitious and saying, well, the division's ours. There's really only one team we have to mess with, and they're they're not healthy, and they're not as good as they've been. And uh, So then you're back to taking full advantage of the opportunity that might be out of, might, might have come out of nowhere. And just because it comes out of nowhere doesn't mean you can't try to seize it. And to me, if you're seizing it, you're still going to add pitching. You're not going to let this offensive explosion blur your eyes to a degree that you can't see the forest for the trees. And and that is that um, even great offenses aren't going to you know always hit six home runs a game. Maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll be the exception to that. Already we're obliterating a lot of um, expected lines in that regard. The we laid out some of those numbers in the first hour of the show where we're actually even performing the nineteen outperforming the nineteen twenty seven Yankees in at least one category. But I still think that you got you 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 spend the rest of this season fine tuning your pitching, improving your pitching, and yes, being prepared and willing to spend money to do that and I would argue resources to do that as well. I don't think you can be uh, afraid to do um, either of those uh, particular things. But we now had, well, uh, let's let Bob Minneapolis uh, get to where I was headed next. So we touched upon it a little bit in the first hour of the program. Bob, uh, welcome to the show. What's on your mind? Well, I mean, uh, when I was watching the game, and maybe I should have stopped watching it after after the fourth inning, but I was just trying to see if Perez could get, you know, the victory, and he couldn't get anybody out in that fifth inning. No, he couldn't. And what? And the Twins are are offering up what is a potentially legitimate alibi. Thank you for the call. And that is, how do you stay warm? Average half inning for the Twins is you know two hours. The way they're hitting the ball and knocking the ball around, and so for any pitcher. Uh, that might make it more difficult to get into a rhythm. I always would think it'd be easier when you have that kind of lead. But then again, maybe when you have that kind of lead, you're too free and easy, and you can't bear down the way you otherwise would. I'm not ready to cut Barrios. Uh, there's an ebb and flow to every season, even for good pitchers. But um, And you can still say, if you're really playing the uh, odds game, uh, La Machina is a much surer bet than Martin Perez, for example. But um, I, I just I, I think we can't forget the pitching part of it and how important it is, even for a team that has is breaking every record in the book to this point of the season uh, when it comes to hitting. That pitching still uh, not going to be a very very big part of it as as well. Booth at KFN dot com is the Bradshaw and Bryant inbox. Um, uh, emailer Naomi, if you haven't already, you should read Where the Red Fern Grows to Your Daughter as a Family. I read it to my boys last summer. So good. But you'll blubber through the end of that one, too. Classic book slash story. I, I'm so, I, yeah, I, I, I should know of it, I guess. I feel like I should, and I don't. I don't know about that one, either. 
I yeah, and I I'll I, do some research on it. I have a fear of those dog movies. It's just I I get too sad. Well, yeah, I mean that you gotta you gotta know your limitations. Yeah, you're exactly right about that. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason that I felt I could accept and have accepted this particular dog series, a dog's purpose and the dog's journey, is that at least in the way the, they do it, they're saying. Well, even if the dog is taken in for that final, you know, ending, they bring it back in another breed. So as preposterous as that might be, in a literal sense, it becomes easier to sort of get through that emotion. Because, oh, the the dog's back. You know, the personality of that dog is back. The spirit of the dog will live on no matter what. Correct. You know, at the end of the day, whether or not he has to, you know, go through that thing that we all know we have to deal with when it comes to our pooches. But in Marley, the mean, way to go. that's not the way they present it. Right. So to that extent, there's a greater finality uh, to it. That That's at least what I told myself, why I could handle one, the end of one, and not so much the uh, the end of the other. Andrew is calling from Detroit Lakes. How much snow you have in Detroit Lakes, Andrew? How much snow? Yeah, any snow? Any? Uh, what's the current temp? The current temp is 43 degrees. Okay, so you're about the same. 43 degrees. 43. Um, so you're, uh, you're about the same temperature that we got. You have you have the driving rain that we have, or is it a little better in that regard? It's much better in that regard. It's okay. A, a light sprinkle. That's okay. the very best. We, we did have a little driving rain. What brings you to the program today? Well, you were talking about the welcoming surprises of this Minnesota Twins team, and um, I think the, the one player that stands out, I agree with you, is is Martin Perez? I agree. Obviously, we can't. He's not somebody you can count on, count on for the rest of the season to do exactly as he's done because of his track record. But at the end of the day, we're, it's a it's a welcoming surprise just to see what he has done so far this year. But I think from a concept overall, you know, you guys were talking before the season about you know this team's going to hit. They've got a lot of power, but one thing we can ca- count on is that they're going to strike out a bunch. They haven't exactly done that. That's true. I, I think. Uh, that's one thing that's not that's going kind of unrecognized mm-hmm. is that they're they're not swinging and missing a bunch. They're not their their pitch recognition uh, or their recognition strike zone is, has taken into consideration a lot of their success. And um, I think that's one of the the biggest welcoming surprises of this team so far. It's a great point. Thanks for the uh, call as always and your loyalty you. to to the program. Uh, we have touched on it, but probably not as much as we. As we should, because it is it is true. I mean, you, you sort of assume that there's a feast famine aspect to all of these home runs, and in Major League Baseball in general, the answer to that is yes, that is 100 uh, percent correct. But I don't believe um, I'll do some research on it, but I don't think relative to other teams, our strikeout number is at the top. So we 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 got we got that going for us, I guess. No doubt about it. You could say is that no, it hasn't been necessarily feast or famine. Even though there's times where we like to see you know runners moved along, and we've seen Byron Buxton improve that stat immensely, which he's he's struggled with, and Miguel Sano has struggled with. That's very true as well. And since he's returned, he's been hitting the ball pretty well. Yeah, I mean it is. Uh, it's a formidable lineup, without any doubt. And uh, Sano is uh, maybe just going to pick up on it and be a part of it, and not have to feel the heat of being the guy because there's a number of guys hitting rather successfully for this team. I do want to talk a little Vikings and the ongoing saga over tight end Kyle Rudolph. couple thoughts there, maybe even controversial ones. Stay tuned. Friends, neighbors, roots. You're listening to the good brother, Diane Barrett.
Sunday sermons on the fan. Can I get an amen? Man. I think I got the website for you, uh, Ryan Donaldson, to help better help you make decisions regarding which dog movies might be safe for you to attend. Okay. Tweeter Tennessee Lamb tells me there is a website called DoesTheDogDie.com. <laughs> okay. To help you make that decision. Yeah. Where you say, okay, well, the dog, I mean... Maybe it ruins a little bit of the drama of the story, but I need to know this. I I don't care if I'm spoiled in that regard. I need to know whether the dog dies. And if the dog dies in one form or another, in one way or another, I ain't going. But if the dog lives, then I might consider this particular dog film. That website will be extremely helpful Does for the me. DogDie.com, <laughs> a very popular, I'm sure, website as well. Sunday Sermon's final segment for today, or for this week, at least in terms of sermons. Garzi should be back tomorrow for uh, Bumper to Bumper. Lavelle is in for him on Cake Show coming up at 11. Uh, thanks once again to everybody who showed up for the uh, Rube party or listened after we got done at 6.30 from the Rube party. I think uh, program, program director Chad Abbott told me that we were rolling on the... Uh, Common and Me Super Show portion of the proceedings from the Poor House on Friday, and that will be available as some form of uh, fan historical podcast, because we did a lot of um, recollecting of the good old days, of the bad old days, and the history of the uh, station. So that might be up for you at some point. If you were not there, you wouldn't have heard it, because it was not broadcast live, but it would be available as a as a podcast. Um so we we uh, we appreciate the folks who showed up. We pride ourselves on the loyalty of our particular fierce fierce loyalty, one could say, of our audience. We also pride ourselves on the fact that you can count on, and this has been this way as long as I know it. Um, the weekend programming we have available to you every Saturday morning, uh, sometimes into the afternoon. Every Sunday morning, sometimes into the afternoon, is live programming. So the when you hear that those programs, they're going on as you listen to them, which also means that when stories break over the course of the weekend, we are able to react to them. Another uh, thing we kind of pride ourselves on this station is that what you're listening to is happening as you are listening to it. It is fresh. Well, it might be, you know, recycled to the extent that uh, many of us repeat ourselves over and over, but we're at least doing so live you can count on that. Uh, that is uh, part of what makes the fan the fan. Kyle Rudolph. We've talked about him on and off forever. And uh, Scoggins had a column on him today. Uh, Gargi and I got into this subject on Enough Said uh, as well on TV Friday night. And really what it, what it comes down to for people... Well, there's two things. The first thing is whether indeed we can now that this lineup or this roster is largely set that we can now count on the fact that Kyle Rudolph is going to be part of this team 
playing under his current contract, which I think has a calls for him being paid more than $7 million, uh, this year. Because we had that report, I think, confirmed that uh, contract talks had broken down about some kind of a re- 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 an adjustment of that deal, um, which would have given the Wolves, uh, Wolves, the Vikings some salary cap relief. They got that relief from their middle linebacker enough to allow them to sign their one last big remaining signing from the draft, the first-round pick, Bradbury. Bradbury, yes. But I keep hearing from people I trust that um, that's still ultimately not going to be enough and that the Vikings, you don't you don't open the door to a contracting renegotiation, one would assume, and and create potential angst if you don't intend to follow through on it. Why bother? Why create that angst otherwise? So the feeling continues to be that there's going to have to be an adjustment. Now, might the Vikings, after further review, be a little bit more liberal in what they're willing to give Rudolph on the back end of this deal in order to get some more salary cap room on the front end? Possibly. That can be part of the negotiation. There's still time to do it, although you would think, again, you'd go ahead and get that done. Rudolph has made it clear that he does not intend to take less money. He's not ready to do that. That he might be ready to take less money for the upcoming season, but then you're going to have to take care of it on the back end. So the question all this is leading to is, if you play this out, and there's still a chance at least that Rudolph is not going to be on this club, how much does that hurt this team, and how rippable would the Vikings be if that's the outcome? And on one level, I I get that people could say, wait a minute, we're supposed to be all in this year. Um, We certainly have suggested as much with the changes we've made to the coaching staff. Um, We've got a ready-made defense still. We've got some good parts offensively. We expect to rebound dramatically and be a contender. So if that's the case, why do you want to roll the dice that Irv Smith Jr. can be a ready-made replacement, even if he's highly regarded, he hasn't played a minute in the National Football League. So if you're all in, bite the bullet, find some way to give him a chunk of change, even if you're kicking some of the money issues uh, can down the road, and you might pay for it later. And I and I guess I get that. But my comeback probably would be, put this way, I don't, I'm not convinced that Kyle Rudolph being on this team is the key to whether this club is going to rebound and the offense is going to get better. I, I just, and maybe I'm underrating him, and you could say again, I'm gambling, given that you don't have a ready-made, experienced replacement. I mean, we got some other tight ends, right? we got Conklin. Do we David not? Morgan. we, we got, got Morgan Tyler for Conklin. another year. Yep. Um, and we got this kid. And maybe I've fallen in love too much with what I've seen of, of, of Irv Smith, about what he might represent as a different kind of a tight end. I mean, I understand that with Cousins, the feeling is he's not the kind of big-time quarterback that you could just plug in with any group and he'll make them all better, that you need to give him as many weapons as you possibly can. But I, I'm not, I guess I'm not sure that this is going to be, that, that Rudolph represents the difference. I think Smith, there's no reason I think Smith can't be good. And again, in some ways, maybe even better in terms of the kinds of patterns you could use him in. Maybe not as effective when it's third and six and you just need the big guy to to bust open over the middle for six, and he's fairly sure-handed and he catches it, whatever. But I'm not, 
I guess I'm not going to lose that much sleep over Rudolph not being a part of this thing. And I I think I think some people are. I think some people are very seem very very concerned. I don't know what the what, how stubborn the Vikings are being about just being willing to reward him on the back end. I I put it this way. If you ask me, you can only have because of the way our models are set up financially. For the 2019 season, you can either have Everson Griffin or Kyle Rudolph. I would rather have Everson Griffin. And I know I might be foolish in that Griffin has faded a little, but I'm not as convinced as other people. Oh, Weatherly, he's, he's ready to take the next step. You just plug Weatherly in over there, everything's going to be fine. Or you move, who's, the, who's our Daniel best, Hunter. Hunter to that side. And I, I still want to believe that, again, if you're all in, you want to have Griffin there, whether he's a guy who you're playing all the time or one of three viable options at defensive end, moving the parts around and, 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 and moving people in and out. I'd rather have him if it has to be one or the other. I, I'm convinced of it. I, I think there's enough other offensive weapons that I view as more important weapons, and I think Smith's got a chance to be pretty good. It's not supposed to be illegal to ask a rookie to be a factor. I'm not asking him to be a factor at quarterback. I'm asking him to be a factor at tight end. He comes from an extremely polished program now. And now a program that's no longer as, you know, offensive, uh, you know, offensively starved as Alabama once was back when all they did was win with defense. So I you know, and I like to think that with with Everson, part of what happened last year was the way the season played out for him. He's He's gone. He's dealing with his life issues for a while. And so I think to that extent, there has to be some hope that, all right, a year removed from that, we've cut his cal- we have cut his salary, but we're going to commit to him for another year and see if he starts fresh this year, he can get back some of that magic that we have prepared for, even though he's a little longer in the tooth, obviously, than, than Kyle Rudolph is. So I'm not ripping Rudolph for playing hardball at all, but I'm not. I guess I'm not quite as concerned with about this issue as as other people say I should be. Where are you on that? Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. I, I would say I agree with you that, I mean, you kind of got, got to look at Kyle Rudolph as almost like an insurance policy this year where if you if, if you can bring him back, and ideally you'd love to bring back both Everson Griffin and Kyle Rudolph and ha- have them for the future, but Kyle Rudolph is almost is more of like an insurance policy whereas if Irv needs a year or two to develop yeah. into what we think he can be, at least you got... A guy who's a veteran who we know we can get out of him. You know, we can count on Kyle Rudolph to get you about 75, 80 catches a year, four or five, six touchdowns a year. And and Kirk loves his safety blankets. He loves his he tight ends. No doubt. But, you know, I mean, the NFL is kind of a crapshoot, with, especially with the tight ends. When you're a rookie tight end, you don't know what type of impact they're going to have when they come into the league. So I look at that more of like a, Kyle Rudolph can be more of like a safety blanket. Yeah. If Irv well, kind of falls flat on his face. I thought, too, the feeling I had was with the new offensive philosophy we were allegedly bringing in that that was part of their attraction. I mean, you don't use generally a second-round pick on a guy you don't think can be a pretty helpful pretty quick, and that that's that he represents the kind of tight end. He's not as tall, I know, um, but he might be a little bit more elusive, I think, in some ways, that you know he would actually fit what this new offense is indeed attempting to do. So... Um, I assume this is going to have to be resolved here fairly quickly. And, um, you know, it will be one of the interesting storylines to follow. 
whether, if he's not here, whether that ends up being something we look back on and say, well, that's where uh, the Vikings really blew it. I, I'm dubious of that. I mean, this team, what did we, I mean, I, th- I thought, I think Scoggins had the number today. I think we finished 19th in the league in scoring, and we had Kyle Rudolph. Now, again, part of that, a lot of that, I think, is on Cousins and on the line issues, but, and he's got a lot of touchdowns. We 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 know that as well, but I I'm not sure. I look at it and go, oh yeah, with him we yeah we were we were ordinary offense is what we were. I I just I don't view him as a dominant kind of tight end where you go, wow. I mean, you got it. You can't lose Kyle Rudolph. You absolutely have to do whatever it takes to uh, to keep uh, Kyle Rudolph. A longtime uh, listener, Julie, regarding our. Uh, the use of the dong gong to come out to sort of celebrate each and every Minnesota Twins home run. It played six times at the start of the sermon program today after a massive uh, power explosion for the Twins again yesterday in Seattle. You told me the final was 18-4. to four. That's exactly right. And it's the uh, fifth game they've hit more than five home runs already this uh, season. Crone homer twice, right? He did. Scope once. Twice. Oh, excuse me, twice Don't as well. Change and scope. by the way, somebody told me, was it Cronerscope who had a shot at a third, that, that uh, ball that died at the warning trap? I don't know if that's true or if that's exaggeration. Sano, home run, and uh, Buxton, a grand slam as well. Uh, emailer Julie, when you mentioned getting a sports medicine doctor's opinion about how Sam Cassell injured himself doing the quote-unquote big balls dance, it made me wonder, is this twin season going to give you a case of dong-gong elbow? I believe the Mayo, Mayo Clinic describes it as a painful condition that occurs when tendons in your elbow are overloaded, usually by repetitive motions of the wrist and arm. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, car, carpal tunnel. I could see I, that. I yeah, have, I keep. I kind of keep hitting that dong gong sounder. <laughs> yeah. I, do you think I could? I mean, do you think I could get away with some sort of a? Filing a medical claim in that regard? Yeah, here? maybe some that prehab. You, you hear about rehabbing injuries all the time. This is prehab where you have to kind of condition your elbow going into it, knowing that this could be in your future. Uh, emailer Mike, as a fellow uh, uh, German short hair pointer owner, I can share that I've had problems watching any dog movie where the dog dies. I've never seen Marley and Me and other movies like that. However, on a flight back from Paris last year, I was power watching movies and watched A Dog's Purpose. I was crying like a baby for much of that film, and I think people sitting around me must have thought I was going to the United States for a funeral. Fast forward to March of this year, and my 16-year-old German short-hair pointer died. My wife and I were devastated, even though at that age she had lived a great life. The day she died, I googled for uh, uh, German short-hair pointers and found a GSP rescue. We made an appointment, ended up bringing her home the next week. Been a great dog so far. I totally believe in a dog's purpose, and my do dog... My new dog is a piece of my old dog, sappy, but true. Yeah, we all look for that. Uh, we had Rainy for over 15 years. Now we've got a German short-haired named Wrigley. And you do. you look. There's there's differences, but then you look for... and it, It's comfort. It's what you want to believe. It's what makes it easier to continue to cope with whatever loss you've had. And if you had a dog for, well, you know, in his case, 16 years, ours for 15, or even less, frankly. Um, it stays with you. It definitely stays with you for more than a, a minute or two. So and if people are wondering what we're talking about, I mentioned that we went to see the sequel to A Dog's Purpose yesterday at the theater called, I think, A Dog's Journey. Exactly. And I um, I was almost in blubber mode from, I'd say, from the 30-minute mark on, intermittently every five to ten minutes. 
And then I would relive the early earlier blubbering, and then that would make me blubber some more. And I did left, leave the movie in sunglasses, had to explain said sunglasses when I ran into P.J. Fleck inside the same mall, in which many years ago when Marley and me came out and I walked out of it early because I refused to see that last scene, I put a pair of sunglasses on because I, I was already crying, thinking about what was coming next, and I had explained to Lou Nanny, who was there to see another movie, why I was uh, wearing sunglasses. That's become something of a tradition. Not only at that theater, but apparently with uh, well-known Minnesota sports figures. Lavel, I see, has been prepping um, madly. Is the plan as expected? PA is going to join to talk Preakness? PA will join in the 11 o'clock hour, and then uh, we're hoping to get Paul Peterson in studio oh, right around nice. noon. That's great. And he'll join us for two segments, and then we'll wrap it up with a Twins player. We don't know who yet. It kind of a uh, it's a it's a stay tuned. It's a tease. Oh, I like that. I'm sure Lavelle will announce it at some point, but we want a mystery guest. Keep it guessing. Mystery twin. Is it a, is it a current twin? I believe so. It will be a current twin. We think. I believe so. Well, that's even better. Lavelle in for Garzy today. Garzy should be back with me tomorrow. John Athletic will join tomorrow. Um, more twins conversation tomorrow as we continue to celebrate what I like to call. The movable feast, or a movable feast, that your Minnesota Twins have indeed become on an almost daily basis. I forgot to ask Lavel Friday when he was in studio with us um, what the Hildenberger story is, who he sent down, what has to happen with him, and what his future might be. Maybe he'll cover that today. If not, I'll get to that with him next week. And he'll file a live report on uh, his participation which was in the tremendous on friday night john athletic was there as well among many others uh, thanks for listening today as i mentioned stay tuned live and local lava filling in for guardsy next right here in the fan Whenever.